So we're doing a series on the call. It's called The Call of God. And we're going to, our foundation scripture is from Ephesians chapter 2. And it's a scripture that we are no doubt most of us very well aware of. Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 10. And this is Paul writing to the Ephesians. And we'll start, we'll start from verse 8. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is a gift of God, not as a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand so that we would walk in them. Say this with me. I am his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Now, we are sort of, religion's kind of got that scripture a bit confused because sometimes we really think that uh, we are his workmanship created by good works in Christ Jesus. You know, that it's our good works that make us who we are as Christians. But no, it says we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, not by good works. Now, who's thankful for that? Who's thankful that our life is not the sum total of our good works or the quality of our personality? Some of us just wouldn't cut it, all right? Um, I was, uh, and that word, the, the word good there actually means, it means exceptional. It means above the ordinary. Uh, I was fortunate enough to live in Sydney uh, in my early youth, a time that they were making the Sydney Opera House. And so, yes, they actually made that. It wasn't always there, Jake. There was a time when it was just Benelong Point, okay? And then it was opened in 1973. So I was uh, two years old at that time. No, it wasn't. Uh, it opened in 1973, but the years leading up to it, you could, see, you could see the platform being built out there and the little frame getting built and all these people working on it for years. And, and all of a sudden, it started to come together and the, the concrete shells came up and then the white tiles, you could see the white tiles. And at the end of it, they had a good work. It's an exceptional work, the Sydney Harbour, the Sydney Opera House. We love the Sydney Opera House. One time we rode from Hunters Hill, we used to live in Hunters Hill, we rode, my brother and I rode on a dinghy, dodging all the ferries across Sydney Harbour, under, under the Harbour Bridge, and we pulled up at the Opera House and went up on the stairs and all, all, the, all the tourists were there going, tick, 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 taking photos of us. It's a great work, the Sydney Opera House. We, were, we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, for which he has planned beforehand. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we would walk in them. And we talked last week about how really um, standard Christianity and what of our, lot of our experience has been in Christ is that we get saved, we celebrate the resurrection, and then we sit there and twiddle our thumbs and think, well, what now? What do we do now? And, uh, and that happened with the disciples. Jesus rose from the dead. They're sitting there twiddling our thumbs. And it's a revelation for us to realize that the resurrection was not the end. The resurrection was the beginning. 
And the resurrection is the beginning of our new life in Christ. It's where we find out now why we have been made in his image, why we are his workmanship. What are these exceptional works that he has for us to do, which he has prepared beforehand for us to do? And then we looked at, uh, we looked at the disciples and we looked at Peter. Everyone loves picking on Peter. And uh, I think it's because we identify with Peter. But, you know, after Jesus rose from the dead and Peter said to his fellow disciples, well, what are we going to do? He said, let's go fishing. They all looked at him and said, let's go fishing. And it's an interesting story in John chapter 21. And um, the Apostle John goes into so much detail. It's not just a passing story. It's a story that applies to us. It's very dangerous, of course, getting the theology from stories. But it is an example of what the apostles were like and what, and what faces us as being risk once we're saved. We're saved now, what do we do? And it must have been amazing for them. I mean, they lived with him for three years and the trauma of the resurrection, the, tra the trauma of the death, and Peter, of course, denying Christ three times, and then the resurrection and seeing him, him risen, and Jesus was just sort of coming and going, and they're thinking, what do we do now? And for so much of us, that's, that's what it is. Our Christian life is, what do we do now? So Peter said, let's go fishing. And him and John and John's brother, I think it was James, if I get it right, they went, they went out there fishing. Uh, this is in John 21. And Jesus appears on the shore. And they've labored all night. They've labored all night and not caught any fish. Who's ever like had that? We got saved, we turn around, we get on with life for a few years and we find ourselves four, five, six years, 10 years, 15 years, 20 years, 30 years into this Christian walk and we think, where are we? We're thinking we're laboring and there's no fish. And Jesus come, they, they, they come towards the, the shore in the morning, they're about 100 yards out and they look out and there's Jesus on the shore and he calls out to them, guys, throw the net on the other side. Now, have you ever thought why? He says, throw the net on the other side, and that the fish became so, the net became so full with fish. Did anyone go home and look at how many, how many fish there were? 153? 153 fish. 153 fish. And they get to the shore. The, uh, Peter, Peter jumps in, swims 100 yards out, and the rest drag the fish to the shore. And, and Jesus is already there with the fish and the bread. He's already there. He was there before them. And I'm sure that Jesus was saying to Peter, you know, it's not the act of fishing that's wrong. It's not the going about our everyday life. And, you know, nine times out of ten, even more, 99 times out of 100, our call is where we are. The call God has for us is here and now it's where we are. The purposes he has for us is, is here and now where we are. But it's just whether we've got this idea that God actually wants us here now that he has people for us to meet that he has stories for us to tell people who need us our neighbors our friends the people at work they're here and now and just this idea that peter if you do it with me you're going to catch 153 fish now we know peter didn't quite get it and we talked about it i, I sort of figure in my imagination i'm sorry i got this imagination but i can remember i can i can imagine them all going up and sitting down uh, with, um, with um, Jesus and then Peter sort of sneaks out and he goes to count the fish. 
Like this, and she's counting one, two, three. I mean, how else did they know there was 153? Really, 150? It's 153, and John says 153. But the Bible says that He has good works, mighty achievements, which He has prepared for us beforehand. Now, how many of us know that fishing all night, laboring all night at our work in our place? And, and in the end, getting nothing for it, that's not a good work. You're doing the same amount of work, but you're not getting the eternal benefit that God has for us. But he has good works for us where we are. And when we hook up with his dream on his team, using his scheme, we become the meme for success. You can quote me on that tip if you like. All right? Because his dream becomes our dream. And so Peter started to realize that, 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 well, maybe I can sort of live, what, I'm just a fisherman. What's a fisherman? Well, a fisherman with Jesus, without Jesus, you work all night, catch nothing. With Jesus, you throw the net on the other side, there's 153 fish. Because he has prepared beforehand these works for us to do. Now, the uh, word there, prepared, I looked up in the Greek. You want to know what it means? means prepared. It's actually got, it's actually got a slight, slightly different difference. It, it actually doesn't mean to plan as so much as actually get it physically ready. And that God has physically got ready in this realm the works that he has planned for us. They are there ready to go, ready for us that we might walk in them or we should walk in them. Or we ought to walk in them. And we face that decision with our lives. What are we going to make of our lives now? What are we going to do with this thing, this resurrection life that we have? This Holy Spirit that we have. Are we just going to go out fishing like we always did? They say when people die, you know, they never say it's the hours I spent at work and all that. It's the time they didn't spend with the family and all that. That, that, that they regret. But I know for me, and I think for most of us as Christians, when we die, we want to hear that well done, good and faithful servant. We want to know that we dreamt his dreams, that his dream rose up in us. Now, Peter started to get it. The good news is Peter started to get it. And I figure if Peter started to get it, I can start to get it. Amen. I think that's why Peter was made like the rock, the head of the church, because he, like, was hopeless. He was, come on guys, admit it, he was hopeless. Like, he sort of knew everything, knew nothing. You ever met someone like that? Wives, just nudge your husband. Knew everything, but know nothing. You know, like, so they're up the Mount of Transfiguration, you know, and, um, and, and Peter's telling Jesus what to do. No, I'm going to build your tent. No, don't go. Just stay here. I'm going to build your tent. And, uh, and other times that he, he rebuked Jesus, like he knew what should be done. But Peter started to get it. Of course, they went. We know about Jesus said, wait in Jerusalem till the power of the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And then, well, I love Acts chapter 3. So let's turn to Acts chapter 3. And remember that he has good works for us, which he has prepared. He has put the things in place for us 
to succeed in these works he has prepared beforehand that we should do. Now Peter and John were going up to the temple on the ninth hour, the hour of prayer. And a man who had been lame from his mother's womb was being carried along, whom they used to set down every day at the gate of the temple, which is called Beautiful, in order to beg alms at those who were entering the temple. And when he saw Peter and John about to go into the temple, he began asking to receive alms. But Peter, along with John, fixed his eyes upon him and said, Look at us. And he began to give them his attention, expecting to receive something from them. But Peter said, I do not possess silver or gold, but what I do have I give to you in the name of Jesus Christ the Nazarene. Rise and walk, and seizing him by the right hand, he raised him up, and immediately his feet and his ankles were strengthened. With a leap, he began to walk upright and to leap and to joy. God has purposes and good works for us, which he has put into place the opportunity for us to succeed in what he's called us to do. And I can imagine this conversation. So they've just had the, uh, they've had the Holy Spirit come down and fall upon them. And then Peter's got up and he's preached the first Holy Spirit sermon. And they had 5,000 saved. Was it 5,000 men? And then women and children saved on top of that. And so then it says, then a few days later or soon after that, they're going to the temple. And it's Peter and John going to the temple. Now, Peter and John must have been going to the temple week in, day in, week in, week out. And they would have walked past this blind man week in, week out. But Peter was starting to get it. Peter was starting to get that this resurrection was not the end. The resurrection was the beginning. And you can imagine the conversation as they come out to it. And he, the, the, the leper cries out to him. He says, ask for arms. And, and Peter and John said, well, what are we going to do? We haven't got anything. And John says, well, what about this resurrection thing? What about this thing? You know, remember, Jesus rose from the dead. What about that? Well, I don't know. What can we do with that? Like, come on. Like, do you, this go, does this go through your head? A few years ago, we were having an outreach uh, outside of Suva. I've told a few of you, probably told you a few times. And uh, it was in a Hindu village. And uh, we sent out the Bible college students and told them, go and get, go and get anyone who's sick. Go and get his lame. Tell them if they die on the way to keep bringing them. And we were just putting it out there, you know. The Hindu villages had about, probably had about 200 people. Preached the gospel the first night, not much happened. And then the second night, more of them, more of them came. And uh, I, had, I had said to these, to these Bible college students that we're going to ask them to bring along anyone who's sick and we'll pray for them. Now, who knows that when you step out like that, the majority of the time, your, your head's screaming at you. Who knows that? All right? it's, it's screaming at you. But I, I really I decided that, well, this is going to be on you, God, because I'm really just going to preach the gospel and I'm going to expect you to move because you're the one that said you would do it. All right? So we're out there, and uh, uh, after, the, after the message, we call for people for prayer, and, and a young, beautiful Hindu lady comes forward with her kids and she prays and she, she starts to feel better like this. And then I pray for, is there anyone else? And I felt to say, is there anyone who's, who's deaf? And this, this young Fijian boy comes through and he says, I'm deaf in this ear. And, you know, I'm, I'm standing there thinking, well, like, I'm going to 
I'm going to sink or swim. Well, I won't sink or swim on this. God's going to sink or swim on this, really, because I'm just preaching his word. That's all I'm going to say. So I really, I'm thinking, Lord, this one's up to you. Okay, so, so uh, I, we held a little watch. We had one of the ladies had those little, little wristwatches. She said, you just, if you put it right up, you can hear it. So he put it right up to, to his good ear. We said, can you hear that? She said, he said, oh, yeah, I can hear that. Then he put it right up to his bad ear like that. She said, can you hear that? He said, no. Put his hands over his ears like that. He said, in the name of Jesus, I rebuke deafness. I command healing to, hearing to come now in the name of Jesus. And you know what I felt? Absolutely nothing. <laughs> Absolutely nothing. I can remember T.L. Osborne, the great healing evangelist, when I went to be with the Lord four or, four or five years ago. I remember saying to him, if I was ever anointed, I never felt anything. I had no idea. I just got up there and I preached Jesus and expected people to be healed. And he, he, I can remember him saying, you know, the greatest revelation he ever had. He saw Jesus in person. He went to India as a missionary. Nothing happened. He came back and he went and saw some healing revivalists in the 50s and 60s. Go, uh, sorry, the late, the late 40s, early 50s traveling. And he saw some amazing healing miracles. And he said, God, why, didn't that, why doesn't that happen in India? Now we're saying, why doesn't that happen in Australia? <laughs> it happens in India now. And he said, Jesus walked, Jesus walked into his room one morning, stood at the end of his bed, and taught him about healing the sick. And he said, but that wasn't the greatest revelation he ever had. The greatest revelation he had is when he realized Christ was in me. Christ was in me. And the purpose and God's planned and purposed great things for our life, and Christ is in me. And he said, and I can remember him saying that he never felt a thing. Because I have to be honest with you. I'll be frank. I'm always honest. Today I'll be frank. All right? Is that before that, because so, Hindus, you think Hindus, this was a little village, a little Hindu village. And Hindus, you think, you think they're hardened. Like everyone says they're hardened to the gospel. And so I, I actually went and listened to a bunch of T.L. Osborne's crusades and how he preached the, and the songs they sang. Now, is that cheating? I don't know. That's what I did. <laughs> so I thought, well, this guy's reached these Hindus. So I listened to him. Like the weeks before, I listened to his message. I dissected. I got the songs. I, just, I dissected. This is, this is how he preached. This is the gospel he preached. This is, this is, and, and we preached that message. I just like it. And, and like, so T.L. Osborne said, said, he said to them, he said, God saw you when you left, when you left your home tonight. God, because they don't know a personal God. They don't know a God that, that knows them. So we preach the God that knows them. Anyway, so we had this crowd. When I say a crowd, there was about 70. <laughs> and and this, these guys up there and with a deaf ear, and I'm feeling nothing. So I was tempted to just say, okay, go back to your seat now. She's like, just go back to your seat now. <laughs> Let us know. Send me an email. Write me a letter. <laughs> just, you know, let's not embarrass ourselves here, you know. It's, it's my reputation here now. You know, we've got this big crusade of 80 people. Let's not, <laughs> let's not embarrass. Who knows that God has put people in place for you to reach, that only you can reach, that only you stepping out in faith will reach, that only you, when you feel nothing, but you remember the call of God on your life, that you are the one there. That if they, if they can see you, they can see Jesus. If they can hear your voice, they can hear Jesus. If you can get your hands on them, that's Jesus' hands being reached out there. 
And it's a beautiful thing to see the Holy Spirit move when you know it has got absolutely nothing to do, <laughs> to do with how you're feeling and nothing to do with your level of spirituality, that you are his workmanship, creating Christ Jesus for good works. So I got the lady out there with a little watch again. And I said, just put it up to his, his bad ear. I said, can you hear that? And his face lights up. And I said, I can hear it. I can hear it. I can hear it. He's going, I can hear it. You know, and this murmur goes through the, the, this little Hindu village. Beautiful people. People who love God. The God that they know, or they think they know, and who need to hear about Jesus. It's the same out there. They think God's in crystals. Or they think that the universe is God. And, and people everywhere around the Sunshine Coast have got a heart and a hunger for God. And we're it, guys. We're it. It's us fishing out there at night. It's us. He ain't got anybody if he hasn't got us. And we did a little order call over there after that, and we had 50 or 60 saved after that, that guy got healed. Because, you know, here's the, like, God will honor his word. And it's like, things like miracles like that, they're, the, they're like the dinner bell. Clang, clang, clang. Come to Jesus. The two Hindu high priests, the pundits, they were the pundits, the two pundits, came forward and prayed the prayer of salvation that night and invited the Bible college students to come and teach the Bible there. God has the people and he has the provision. He has prepared them beforehand. The same word that is used there, it's only used one other time in the New Testament, and that's when, when Jesus says, go and there's a, there's a room up top for the, for the Last Supper. It's already furnished. It's prepared, ready to go. That's it. It's ready to go. And he has good works prepared for you, for you, for me. They are there. They are in place, ready to go. Just got to step that you might walk in them imagine the miracles imagine the changed lives that are already there for us out there 300,000 people someone asked me during the week why'd you start a church on the sunshine coast there's so many church good churches here I said yes there are but there's 300,000 people that need Jesus that's enough I'll leave the 50,000 to the other churches we'll just work with the 300,000 all right that's fine by me, okay? Because if they can see us, they can see Jesus. If they can get to us, they can get to Jesus. And we have no idea how God has moved things because we can't, because He's beyond time. You know, Abraham goes to sacrifice his son and he gets there, and the ram is already in the thicket. Jehovah, the Lord who sees ahead, the ram was already there. If he'd never gone there, he'd never see the ram. Never seen the ram. He has people and he has provision ready for us. A friend of mine, Ed Elliott, who's a, a um, graduate for AMA, who was a missionary in Africa for years, and he tells a story after traveling around Australia for a few weeks, driving hundreds of miles a day and teaching on the love of Jesus. He, he um, ended up in Melbourne having to fly back to Los Angeles. I think it's a 15-hour flight. It's an overnight flight. Anyone done it? It's a shocker, that one. And he said he, was, he went on early, he tried to get the best seat. This must have been the days. Remember the days when you could pick your own seat in the plane? I know you had a ticket, but you just ignored the ticket. Remember those days? 
those of you that don't remember, it was true. You could sit anywhere. You could lie across the seat. He, he went and he, what a dream. And he, and he found himself a seat and it just kept getting filled. And he ended up get back and back and move back and back and back. And he, he ended up on the back row right near the toilets. And there was two seats left there. And he sat down. Well, at least I'll be able to curl up and have some sleep. And just the last person to board the plane that he knew was this big drunk Aussie sat down next to him. He said he had already been drinking and he kept drinking before it started and he was just obnoxious. He was swearing. I know that's hard to believe. Those of you that are Kiwis, it's hard to believe about us. I know. I understand that. I'm thinking that couldn't possibly be an Aussie. And he's drinking and he's ordering drinks and he said he, he pinched the hostess's backside as she went past and tried to chat her up and everything and she threatened to get him moved and all this is after the flight was going. And uh, Ed says eventually he just curled up and, he, and, and got a, started to doze off like this. He said he'd been trying to doze for about an hour or so and the guy prodded him in his rib, went poof, like that in his rib. And Ed tries to ignore him. The guy goes bang like this. He tries to ignore him again and then he thought, I'm going to just get a broken rib if I keep ignoring him. And he said, what? He said, you know, how can I help you? And the guy said to him, you heard of Billy Graham? He said, yeah. He said, in the 1950s, my parents took me to Billy Graham meeting in Sydney. He said, and I became a Christian. This is this drunk Aussie. So I became a Christian. He said, I went on living a Christian life, but my wife left me. I ran out of money. And that's, this is where I am now. And Ed's thinking, why is he telling me? Because it hadn't told him that he was a minister. He said, I turned around to you. He said, when I, when, he said, when I saw Billy Graham that night, he said, have you seen any of that? Actually, this is how he started the conversation. Have you seen any of those pictures of saints where there's a gold halo around their head? And Ed said, yes. He said, well, when I was at Billy Graham crusade, that's what I saw around Billy Graham. I gave my life to the Lord. He said, I turned to you now and the, your head was shining. And Ed was able to share with him about, he said, I've just come back from preaching a tour on the prodigal son. He shared with him about the prodigal son. God has people for us. God has provision ready for us. If we're not walking in them, how are they going to hear? It says in Romans, how, if, if the preacher doesn't go, how will they hear? And he's got provision for us. And we won't know that provision until we step. We think, oh, I can't afford that. Well, you won't know. <laughs> you won't know. And if you can't afford it, well, that's probably true you can't afford it. Who wants to be limited by what we can afford? I can't. You see my bank account? I, can't. I don't want to be limited by what I can afford. We were, we, were, uh, we were at Bible college, and it was a huge step of faith to go to Bible college. And uh, we sold everything we had, and we, and we moved over. And by the end of the, end of the first year, we had, I think we got down to like $150 in the bank. That was it. And I had a wife, I had two kids, and a house to rent, and I was at Bible college. And um, it was about this time, a gentleman came into, I was, I was selling carpet, carpet corner in, uh, in Tulsa, Oklahoma. A gentleman came in with his, um, with his Filipino wife. There's still a bit of racism in some parts of the state, still a fair bit of racism. And I could just sense this, this lady was uh, just pulling back a bit, you know, and so I said, where do you come from? She said, Philippines. I said, oh, Philippines are beautiful people. And we just talked for a bit. And anyway, they didn't buy anything. They didn't do anything. They just went out and, and away they went. 
Anyway, it was about a couple months later we found that um, Linda was pregnant. I don't know how it happened, but we found out Linda was pregnant. And it's kind of the last thing you want when you're in the States with no health insurance, you understand? And like you're working part-time and your wife's pregnant. We had all these friends at Bible College, they were still paying back seventy, eighty thousand dollars from from one of their pregnancies. And uh, so we and I had just started to get some some good money, all right, from this from this carpet job. Just started to, to pay. It looked like I'd made some sales. We were down to $150, but it just started to make some sales. And um, friends of ours said, Well, why don't you apply for um, why don't you apply for welfare? And in Oklahoma, there's a very low threshold of welfare. It's like just earning, a, it was like a couple hundred dollars a month or something. So we said, well, we'll give it a go. And I called up this, the, the agency that has, has welfare, has the, um, for people who are pregnant, they, they offer a special welfare for, for ladies, which is a good thing. And uh, we were foreign, I was a foreign national, I didn't know we were qualified. And I called it up and the guy answered the phone. He said, hello, my name is such and such. And I just went through and he... He said, what's your financial details, where you're from, how long you've resided here, and he, all that sort of things. He said, I'm sorry you don't qualify. And um, then he said to him, is that an Australian accent? And I said, yeah, mate. <laughs> <laughs> I said, yes. He said, did you work at Carpet Corner? I said, yes. He said, do you remember a couple came in with a Filipino wife? I said, yes, I do. She said, that was me and my wife. He said, you, he said, you were... You were gracious to my wife. You were nice to my wife. And he said, let me ask you this. How many weeks pregnant is your wife? And uh, I said, seven or eight weeks. He said, well, that means that you actually were pregnant last month. And how, how the, the pays had actually worked out, because I was on, on, on um, commission only, I, I had only received one little pay that month. I'd received, like, pays the month before and pays the month over, but only one little month. I said, what was your pay for that month? I said, I was just a couple of hundred dollars. And, he's, and he went down to his son and said, guess what? You qualify. Now, I don't know whether I legally did qualify or not, <laughs> but I wasn't going to argue with him. You understand. You know, you don't look that gift horse in the mouth. And he's the one that approved it. And he stamped it. And, and Linda, she had a... a, a she had some difficulty in that pregnancy. She was, she was um, hospitalized a couple of times. And, but we, we, got, we got put in as private patients in a private hospital in Tulsa, Oklahoma. We had our picked of doctors. So, and we got this doctor recommended. He was a Christian doctor. He was like this. He was a Raymond graduate. He was like this tall. His hands were that big. He had this reputation for fast births and he could catch them. As they popped out, and because he would pray with the mothers, so the first meeting he said to Linda, he said, "What are we believing for?" And Linda, you know, we go, doctor, what do you believe for?" She said, "I'm believing for a quick, low-pain pregnancy. I'm believing with you." And he held her hands and he prayed with her, and that was all paid for. God has people; He has provision in place, and we'll never know. We'll never know till we step out. And we have the choice, folks. We can live the ordinary life as if Jesus just rose from the dead for our forgiveness of sins. That's it. Let's just stay here. Let's bore ourselves to, to silliness for the next 10, 30, 40, 50 years, 60 years and all go home. But he, we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for beautiful works that he has prepared beforehand that we can 
walk in them. And he's prepared those things. He's gone ahead in time and he's physically not just planned it. That word is not just planned it. He's put those things in place because his dream is our dream. He dreams our success in ministry. He dreams of things that he can do with us and people he can reach and people he can touch. And they're there. The fish are there. We just got to wake up to the fact that we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works. And guys, if they can get to you, they can get to Jesus. When you walk in there this week, when you walk into that gym or you walk into work, that's Jesus walking in there. Christ is in you, the hope of glory. If they can talk to you, they can talk to Jesus. The words that come out of your mouth can be seasoned with grace. And if they can, if they can see you, they can see Jesus. Not by anything we've done, but we are His workmanship. And we just listen to the Holy Spirit. Just say, just words seasoned by grace and the doors open. He's there. He's got people there now. He's got people there now.